Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Nicole Plenty. I hope you've had an amazing week thus far. If you're anything like me, you cannot believe that it is already the fall. Being from the South, I just love fall weather. Don't you guys love boot weather? I love it. I love it. We get to experience temperatures in the 70s and 80s eventually here in Texas with a bit of a breeze compared to the summer. Then we're right back at summer again (laughs) because it's hot here. We don't have a winter. There's no snow, nothing like that. I think uh, last Christmas, which is my birthday, um, I barbecued on my birthday. It was in the 80s. So um, I am looking forward to the fall weather. Okay, so today we're going to switch gears a bit. Um, I've had several questions dealing with alcohol use in pregnancy. So today we're going to discuss how alcohol affects pregnancy and the developing baby. And really, what you really want to know is, hey, will my baby have fetal alcohol syndrome or what we call fetal alcohol spectrum disorder? Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders are a group of conditions that can occur in People whose mothers may have drank during pregnancy. And so we abbreviate that FASD um, for short. So if you've seen FASD, that is what we're talking about. So FASD is preventable if a woman does not drink during pregnancy. So it is preventable. But a lot of the times, you know, a lot of babies are conceived because people are drinking, right? So so some of it is some, somewhat beyond your control, especially with 50% of pregnancies being um, unplanned. So you may think that this is rare. It's really not. According to the CDC, one in 21st graders are affected with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I didn't know it was this common until literally I started preparing for the show. One in 20, one in 20. So all the rumors about it being okay to drink a glass of red wine a night in pregnancy. I hear that all the time. Oh, my, my doctor said it's okay to drink one glass of wine as long as it's red wine every night in pregnancy. That is a straight up myth. Okay, just a myth. And to help me discuss fetal alcohol spectrum disorder in more detail, I have a very special guest and expert in this subject, Miss Mal- Natalie Vecchion. Did I say your name right? Vecchion? <laughs> Close, yes. Vecchion, yes. Vecchion, Miss Natalie Vecchion. <laughs> Natalie Vecchion is an FASD parent, advocate, podcaster, author, 
and most importantly, a wife and homeschool mom of two. Natalie and her husband, John, built their family through domestic adoption. Their son, who is 19, lives with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. He has graduated from homeschool and an aspiring young woodworker. Their daughter is six, and she started her homeschool journey last year. Natalie and John have a much different adoption journey with their daughter, as they are very close with their daughter's birth mom. Natalie turned her family's unique challenges and journey in FASD from career reinventing into a calling when she and her husband began FASD Hope in October of 2020. Natalie has been an FASD podcaster for over a year. The FASD Hope podcast series is through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope podcast is available anywhere you can find podcasts. Natalie, welcome to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. Thank you, Dr. Nicole. It is an honor to be here. You don't have to call me Dr. Nicole. (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. I know that before the show, we were talking about the diagnoses that fall under FASD. And I was like, oh, there's four. And you're like, "Uh uh-uh, there are five. So Natalie, tell our listeners, what are the disorders that actually fall under the umbrella of FASD? So first of all, FASD itself is not the actual diagnosis. FASD is a spectrum disorder, just like autism, just like other spectrum disorders. So the five diagnoses that fall under the FASD umbrella of diagnoses, first one is what most people are known. The first diagnosis is what most people know about fetal alcohol syndrome. That's what people usually associate when they hear uh, fetal alcohol. Second one is partial fetal alcohol syndrome. And that was the one that I was telling you that, that you had all the others um, in, in the uh, diagnosis. So that was the one that I had told you. Third diagnosis is alcohol-related birth defects or ARBD. Fourth one is neurobehavioral disorder associated with prenatal alcohol exposure or ND-PAE. And the fifth one is alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder, or ARND. So those are the five diagnoses that fall under the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder umbrella of diagnoses. Natalie, you have two kids. Your oldest has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So he, he actually has, he actually has FAS. He, he met the criteria for fetal alcohol syndrome. Yes. Gotcha. So he falls under FAS within that spectrum. Tell us about that journey. So how old was he when you adopted him? And did you know that he could possibly have any of the disorders in the spectrum when you did adopt him? He's 19. We're talking over 19 years ago, which there was a lot less information available as there is now. And we did not know he had FAS when we adopted him. He had medical needs and he was um, he was two and a half weeks old when we adopted him. And our agency and the hospital told us about his medical needs, which 15 years later, we learned it was all related to him having an FAS diagnosis. So he was two when he was evaluated for a sleep study. And anyone with a toddler knows that a sleep study with a toddler is just it's, it's an oxymoron because nobody gets any sleep and you really don't <laughs> learn a whole lot. So right. uh, at that sleep study, we also noticed uh, prior to that, 
he started regressing in attachment. He started regressing in developmental milestones, things like that. He, he wasn't mean, meaning milestones. So we had his sleep study done and the neurologist, the pediatric neurologist who came in two weeks later to give us an update about the study. It was a teaching hospital. He came in with a group of students and interns and my husband my son and I were sitting on one side of the room and my son was sitting on my lap facing the group. And the neurologist came in, looked at my son, looked at the chart and said, look at that child. I'm going to, he's been exposed to alcohol. He has fetal alcohol exposure and I'm going to tell you why. And he went down this laundry list. And that was the first time my husband and I had heard of fetal alcohol exposure and, and that our son having it. So we were just flabbergasted. We'd had no idea what to say. And when he was done speaking to this students in the group, I looked at him and I said, you know, this is the first time we've ever heard this. What do we do? And he very nonchalantly said, oh, we'll just put him in earlier intervention and he'll be fine, which we know and as a parent advocate, you know, <laughs> um, 17 years later from that incident, we know that early intervention is a, is a great support and will help. But FASD is a developmental disability. You do not outgrow developmental disabilities. So from that point when somebody, so he had told us, you know, he had suspected it. Our son in between that point and his actual diagnosis when he was 15 we probably saw at least 20 to 25 different specialists for a variety of things, medical, developmental, and we would always bring up what that neurologist said. And every single specialist dismissed it. They said, no, we don't see it. We don't see it. And then finally, our son, and I have permission to share this, our son, you know, we haven't, we, he knows what I share and he wants me to share, um, certain aspects of our journey because he doesn't want other kids, teens to go through what he had to go through, which was 15 years until he got a diagnosis. Um, our son was hospitalized for a co-occurring mental health diagnosis, which 93% of people that have an FASD also have a co-occurring mental health diagnosis. He was hospitalized and the psychiatrist in the hospital not only evaluated him, but said, he actually meets the criteria for FAS, not, <sighs> you know, so which validated, you know, what we had been trying to do. And once we received that diagnosis, Nicole, it really opened up the door for us saying, okay, here's how we learn about his brain. Here's how we learn about primary characteristics, secondary characteristics, things like that. It really opened the door for us, not only to advocate for him, so he could have as many supports and interventions as we could find, but to also learn so that we could help other parents on this very isolating journey. So it took 15 years for him to actually get that diagnosis. So you mean to tell me, I'm astonished because I, I the first time you'd heard of this diagnosis was when you were in a room full of people you had never met before. And this doctor just sort of blurted out, this is what's going on and this is why, and didn't really 
explain that seems very insensitive yes it was very and i write about this in 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 the book i co-authored uh with my friend and fellow mom of uh of of young adults with fast it was not only insensitive um but it was very irresponsible because he did not write down those observations too so anytime yeah he didn't write it down he did not write down there was suspected fetal alcohol exposure so it took us again because because he did not address it he was irresponsible and he was very insensitive it we just were going by the words he gave us and and people would look at our son and they would look for the quote unquote face of fetal alcohol which we know only happens in about 10% of those that have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, only 10% have that quote unquote face, the facial characteristics. So people were going by what they knew, you know, and we were living, we, we were living in Pennsylvania and then New York for a little bit. We didn't get our diagnosis, our son's diagnosis until we moved to North Carolina. And, and it really, and it wasn't until we met with an FASD consultant who put us in touch with a psychiatrist who knew about FASD and we got connected with specialists who knew about FASD. It wasn't until then that we started having people saying, oh yes, we, we can totally see that. And you know, here's why. So yeah, it, it, it's pretty astonishing. It really is. And it, it shows too, I think it shows Nicole how FASD in so many, the, the vast majority of individuals, there are no outward, it's a, it's a fit, invisible disability. There are no outward physical features. However, there are over 400 comorbid diagnoses, medical diagnoses that go along with having an FASD because we know that alcohol is the worst out of all of those substances that can be exposed to an unborn child. Many people think it's, you know, the illicit drugs or, or even, you know, other things, but we know that alcohol not only crosses, you know, the, it crosses the limbic system. It it affects so many parts of it. It actually, it affects every single system in the unborn child. So yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it affects the whole baby and it readily crosses the placenta. It just goes right across. And um, and so that's why when people say, oh, well, one glass of this and one glass of that, there, there's no minimum um, amount of alcohol that is safe to consume. And people want to be reassured by that. But um, there there is no minimum because alcohol does readily cross the placenta. And because it can affect all the organ systems, it presents very differently in different children um, and at different ages. So, uh, so you're absolutely right. I cannot believe it took 15 years, 13 more years after that visit for you guys to get an actual diagnosis. My goodness, that is, um, that's challenging. So what made you guys even decide to get an evaluation? What were you experiencing at that time that where you said, okay, I need to go and figure out what's going on? Well, because what we know and, and the training my husband and did, I, the training that my husband and I did after we learned about FASD, um, we, as our son's symptoms started to increase and started to increase in severity, we 
were going to different specialists and they were trying different, you know, either medications or treatments that weren't working. And from now, what we know is we really needed to accommodate him because FASD is a brain based whole body diagnosis and alcohol we know damages the brain cells and damages the brain. It's prenatal brain damage from alcohol. You know, there's, there's no sugarcoating it, Nicole. No, you're right. Prenatal alcohol exposure is prenatal brain damage. So what we were trying to do in all those years, and you know, we tried everything. We tried listening therapy. We tried, you know, visual therapy. We tried because our son was slowly getting all these diagnoses, you know, all these different diagnoses, auditory processing disorder, visual processing disorder, ADHD, just, you know, all these diagnoses which later when he had the FASD diagnosis, it connected all of those dots. So um, the reason we kept going, first of all, you know, we, we, we had faith and we had hope that we were going to figure out what was going on with our son. We were not going to stop. We, we were like advocate bulldogs. We were just not going to stop. We weren't going to take no for an answer. And we also just saw all the failures in those specialists, both in medical, educational, you know, mental health, those suggestions, those uh, interventions that they were trying, those medications they were trying were not working. We're actually making things worse because we were trying to, um, we were just trying to figure out what was going on so that we could best support him. So really, that was the reason why we, we just knew nothing was working. And the reason why nothing was working is because, for example, the ADHD medications, you know, that were being prescribed, ADHD is caused by genetic mutation. It's not caused by alcohol brain damage. So what's going to happen when somebody with an FASD takes an ADHD medication is not going to be the same as for someone that has a true ADHD standalone, you know, diagnosis. What's been your biggest challenge raising a child with FAS? The lack of supports, the lack of therapies, interventions, um, the lack of community being able to support our son and understand that what he has all of the diagnoses, you know, that that are sub-diagnoses of that main diagnosis of, of fetal alcohol syndrome in his case. Uh, the lack of support, the lack of interventions, the lack of understanding. You know, our son, one of the hallmark characteristics of of any of the fetal alcohol spectrum diagnose uh, spectrum disorder diagnoses. A hallmark characteristic is is the difference between chronological age and developmental age. And in FASD, that gap actually gets bigger as that individual gets older because the expectations grow higher. If you think about it, the expectations go go higher as somebody ages. And someone that has brain damage from an FASD cannot keep up. They'll develop, they'll develop, but it's going to be at a much slower pace and a much lower pace. So that right there, people looking at our son saying, Oh, he's 19. He should be able to do this, this, and this. 
and not understanding that it's a hidden disability. It's an invisible disability. He can't keep up. It's not because he doesn't want to. He wants to. It's because his his brain is not able to to carry out those functions, those executive functions, those, you know, memory. Some days he can remember certain things. Some days he can't. That's a result of the brain injury from the alcohol exposure. So just that's why I'm really fervent in sharing our story and sharing, you know, FASD Hope, which is our podcast, and also this this pending, this proposed legislation. There's national proposed legislation now, the FASD Respect Act, HR 4151 SB2238. And the ACOG is a proud supporter of it. Uh, um, as well as many other, many other organizations and, and um, institutes. We getting FASD recognized as a diagnosable developmental disability and getting the research for prevention, for interventions, for support. That to me is, is my big why of why we're doing this. You know, I went from mama, mama bear advocate to, okay, we got to get this done because for every one of me talking, there are millions of families that are in the dark, that they know something's going on with their child, but they can't, why aren't things working? And that's what we need to do. Well, I commend you for everything um, you and your husband are are doing, and your your son has now graduated from high school. So that is that's amazing, and that's de- definitely a testament to you guys and what you've done. How were you able to to do it? How were you able to make sure that he did not fall too far behind, and that he pretty much graduated on time? We started homeschooling him almost eight years ago as an accommodation because we recognized where we were living at the time. They, it's really challenging for parents of a child with an FASD to have their educational needs met of their child because so often FASD is a spectrum diagnosis. So what you're going to see in one child is going to be different than what you're going to see in another child. And your child will have strengths in certain areas, but needs, you know, supports in other areas. Uh, So our son, he wasn't that across the board. This is what he needs. So we would try a private school. We would try a public school. We would try, you know, so many hybrid schools and he was just falling through the cracks. So that's where we started homeschooling him. And I was able, thankfully, to, to meet him at his own pace in the subjects where he needed the most support. So um, we really, at especially the last two years of his homeschooling, we learned that he is this incredibly gifted carpenter and, and young woodworker. And so we took those last two years, and that's part of, uh, I share our story in in our book, Blazing New Homeschool Trails. We really, we supported those needs and helped him to the best of his ability in in the subjects he had difficulty in, things like math, uh, English, things like that. And then where he really flourished, like carpentry. I mean, my husband and I don't, we're, we're not carpenters. So we actually found these wonderful, kind uh, carpenters and, and woodworkers who let our son apprentice under them. So for over two years, he, he learned one-on-one and that was for him the best way to learn. So, uh, did, did he 
graduate reading at grade level and at, at math level? Nope. However, however, we accommodated, we, we got him to as high as we could get him in those areas. The other areas, like another talent he has is he's, he is a whiz at computer coding and computer language. He taught himself like, and we actually did that as his language credit. He taught himself languages in credit and learned computer coding. So that's an example of, of how anyone with a brain-based diagnosis, particularly FASD, how often schools outside the community see those, oh, well, he can't read at this level or he can't do math at this level. However, he made the desk that I'm talking to you from that I'm podcasting from, you know, he, he made, <laughs> he's, he's starting his own small woodworking business, of course, with mom and dad's support and help. So I really think that there needs to be an education like all over, not just, you know, uh, the discussions I have with people, there really needs to be an understanding that FASD is this brain based whole body diagnosis where there are strengths. And if we can, just like when we talk about just anyone, you know, I, I think that it's so important for us. And especially if you're a new parent listening to this, or just if you're listening to this, that when we look at our kids, teens, young adults, that we support them where they need support and we give them interventions, medication, whatever is applicable. But we also really focus on their strengths and their skills and their abilities. And I think that's one of the biggest messages that we want to convey. People with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, they have many, many, many challenges, especially because society doesn't understand FASD. The other thing that they do have, though, is they have skills and gifts and talents. And if we can make that shift and understand that there are things that it's not that they don't want to do it. It's they can't do it. Understand that. And at the same time say, okay, here are the things that this individual shines in. And when we do that, we can better support them and better validate them. So they have a more fulfilled life and that they can live interdependently because they are going to need those supports and services, but they can live interdependently and live as fully as, as, as they're able to. So that's the long way answering your question, Nicole. I don't know no, if I completely I, answered your question. And I, I appreciate the explanation and it was a very thorough explanation. And, um, and I know that our listeners will definitely benefit um, from hearing it. I think it's just listening to you. I'm just amazed because I feel like every parent should hone in on the strengths of their children um, and see where their weaknesses are. And, and enough parents don't do that. And you have a child that has some extra needs and you and your husband took the time to make sure that you honed in on your son's skills and strengths. And then you basically helped him to flourish. And now he's starting a business. I mean, that's amazing. It's an amazing story. It's, it's definitely your second book. <laughs> you did not write about this in the first. Um, and I think a lot of parents, not just parents that have children that have fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, um, but all parents 
can learn from that and learn how to help their children excel in their areas of strength. So thank you for sharing that um, because I think it's an amazing story. And I'm sitting here thinking like, how can I hone in on Harrison's strengths right now? Um, because, because enough people don't do that and we don't, we don't point those things out and we get frustrated when our children don't, don't meet certain milestones. And we almost think of it as like, there's something we're not doing. And some parents give up very easily on their children um, because they think they must have behavioral problems and things like that when they're not understanding that something deeper is, is going on or something deeper could be going on that we need to figure out. And then we need to help our children um, excel uh, in their strengths and also pick up on our children's weaknesses. But you said, well, you know, was he reading at the level that he should have been reading at? No, but we use coding as his way to get through those, uh, get those language credits. So I think that that's amazing that you said, okay, this is the weakness. Now we're going to figure out a way to hone in to make sure that we can overcome this weakness. It's amazing. And I, I commend you guys. One more thing too, that I didn't mention that I think needs to be mentioned is that fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, what parents see, especially as their child is getting older, they think are behavioral, like willful behaviors. They're actually symptoms of the brain damage from the alcohol. And it's on a bunch of different levels. There's a book that I recommend called Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Malvin. It really is. She literally wrote the book on FASD. So the more on that, just related to that, the more you try to make your kid work harder in something that their brain cannot do, the more secondary and tertiary characteristics and symptoms you're going to have. So I think one of the biggest takeaways I would love your listeners to know is that with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, it's a brain-based whole body diagnosis. It, it's a spectrum. It looks different. Only about 10% of those that have it have the facial characteristics associated with fetal alcohol. And what you see, especially as your child is getting older, you're seeing behavioral symptoms. You're seeing cognitive symptoms. You're seeing social symptoms. Those are symptoms. They're not willful. And when you make that change from your child just won't do something, no, it's your child is not able to do something. Then, just like with any other diagnosis, you will support, accommodate, and find interventions. So I'm sorry. I just wanted to share that before we go on because I think that's probably, again, another of the big takeaways I'd love your listeners to, to hear. Thank you very much for sharing that. So now during this portion of the podcast, we usually discuss some relevant cases that um, are related to the topic, which today we're talking about FASD. So I'm glad that you're here to help me talk through these cases. And then after that, we'll have a couple questions um, that our listeners have sent in. So I'll go to my medical intern who will kick us off with the first case. Our first case is a 20-year-old woman who is pregnant with her first child. She has a history of type 1 diabetes and is now 19 weeks pregnant. When discussing her condition with her OBGYN, she admitted to consuming two to three alcoholic beverages a day until she found out that she was pregnant at approximately 13 weeks. She stopped soon after that, but she is concerned that her baby will have fetal alcohol syndrome. She was referred for detailed fetal ultrasound and consultation to discuss her risk of alcohol affecting her baby. What would you tell this patient about 
her risk of alcohol affecting her baby in any way? So I would definitely provide education about fetal alcohol exposure and how in the vast majority of cases, women don't realize they're pregnant, like you said, until they're <laughs> long after they've consumed alcohol. Um, I would share how fetal alcohol spectrum disorders looks different in every child and that her child was exposed to alcohol, but she may not see, she may see things at birth. She may not see things until later, you know, or even much later, because we know not only the, how alcohol impairs the brain, it also impairs other parts of the body. I would also, for me as a parent, because I've interviewed on our podcast quite a few parents, birth parents who had children with FASD. For, I actually interviewed a birth mom with a very similar situation. She didn't know she was pregnant until about eight weeks later. And, you know, she she told her OBGYN and her OBGYN at the time said, oh, don't worry about it. Your, your child will be fine. So I would find, you know, a specialist, you know, someone like you, Nicole, who, who specializes in high risk pregnancies and then immediately have, um, because, okay, this is something that you have is alcohol consumption, um, you know, confirmed alcohol consumption. Many parents of children with FASD don't have that confirmation. So right there, that is actually it's actually a protective factor because you can say, okay, we know this child has been exposed to alcohol. Here are the, the intervention interventions, the supports, you know, the informal and the formal supports we can line up for this woman so that she can give her child the best chance of developing, you know, that child's going to develop at the rate he or she is, you know, will develop. But to get supports and get things in place, that's huge. I mean, my husband and I, we were scrambling to get things in place and we didn't have confirmed, you know, confirmation. We, and we didn't get everything in place until we had that final diagnosis 15 years later. She's got confirmed alcohol consumption, you know. And, and, and first of all, I would personally thank her for sharing that because there is... There does not need to be stigma with this diagnosis. That's huge. There's so much stigma associated with FASD and there does not need to be. So many women do not realize they're pregnant and they consume alcohol. So, you know, it, again, approaching her from a very supportive, a very kind and a very, um, we're going to walk alongside you kind of approach, I think for me, is how I would support her. And again, thank her for sharing that information because she is helping her child by sharing that information. She's not hiding it. So 
I hope that's helpful. That is very helpful. Yeah. Supporting, um, supporting and allowing her to understand that there's no stigma associated with this or there shouldn't be at least. And now that we know that she's um, consumed alcohol early in the pregnancy, we know what we're looking for going forward. I will say this. um, I always tell people, especially if hey, you are definitely carrying the pregnancy to term. Let's focus on the things you can change, right? And the first thing that I would be concerned about is you're consuming two to three alcoholic beverages a day until 13 weeks. Like, I don't even care if you're not pregnant. You're consuming two to three alcoholic beverages a day. What is going on in your life that makes you need to consume that amount of alcohol a day? And then you stop cold turkey. So do we have alcoholism there? Is there something psychological going on in her life? Is she being abused? I would want to address all of those factors that led to the alcohol intake first. And then once we got to the bottom of that, I definitely would refer her to counseling to make sure that we're not missing any depression or anxiety that's making her try to mute herself with um, with alcohol consumption. Um, the second thing I would want to uh, make sure I, I stress to her is your baby has had alcohol exposure. We can't change that. Will your baby have one of the diagnoses on the spectrum? I don't know. You know, consuming alcohol is not a 100% surefire thing that something is going to happen to your baby. But I will say that we know that there's a risk and we know that there's a high risk with that much alcohol consumption. And so we do need to let our pediatrician friends know. We need to let our NICU friends know. And this is a patient that I will be following through the pregnancy to make sure I don't see any signs um, during the pregnancy of, of any of the fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And, the, and there's not a lot you can see on ultrasound. People get referred to me because they've consumed alcohol and they're like, diagnose one of these spectrum disorders. That is not a thing, okay? So we cannot diagnose these things prenatally, but there are things that we look for subtly on ultrasound, okay? And the main thing is a baby being growth restricted. That's the number one thing that we see prenatally in babies that have uh, fetal alcohol exposure. Um, And then when we look at specific things on ultrasound, like what parts of the baby is small? Usually the head is a little bit smaller. The chin is a little bit smaller. Um, Other things uh, on ultrasound, like um, I know uh, people have a thin upper lip. We can't really see that. Um, small palpebral fissures, or that's the same thing as a horizontal opening, the slits in your eyes. We can't see that on ultrasound. Yes, you can see babies open and close their eyes. You can see them blink, but you cannot see and measure the actual openings of the eyes. The ears being a little low set, we can't really see that on ultrasound. So there's a lot we cannot see. We look for these subtle findings on ultrasound, and then we follow patients throughout the pregnancy to make sure that we don't see evidence of growth restriction because we know that growth restricted babies do um, a lot more poorly in pregnancy because they have a higher risk of stillbirth. So we want to follow those pregnancies closely if we know that there's a risk factor, alcohol consumption being one. And then I would also uh, make sure that we figure out what's going on with that type one diabetes because a lot of things that we see in people that consume alcohol plus they have other comorbidities, 
If we're looking for growth restriction, it's like, which one causes? Is it the diabetes being under control, uncontrolled that causes? Or is it the alcohol that causes? this? So we want to make sure that the biggest thing that can affect your baby and affect the fact that you have a higher risk of a stillbirth is your hemoglobin A1C being uncontrolled, which is that number that tells us what your average blood sugar is. So we want to make sure that we have a very well-controlled um, diabetes. A lot of our type 1 diabetics in pregnancy are very, very brittle, okay? You guys can go back and listen to the episode on diabetes from season one. They're very, very, very brittle and hard to control. And then you throw alcohol in that and it makes it almost impossible to control. So I wanna make sure our diabetes is under control. I wanna make sure that we're not, you know, going from, oh, I was consuming two, three beverages a night and I just stopped cold turkey. Some people tell us they stopped cold turkey because they don't want us to judge them because they're still drinking. But I need to make sure we're, we're not still drinking because once we get to the third trimester, that alcohol hits a little differently. Okay. The brain is maturing and developing in the third trimester. So we definitely don't want to consume alcohol in the third trimester. And so I want to pull that out of her to make sure that, are you just telling me you stopped or did you really stop? And if you didn't stop, I need to get you help so you can stop. Alcohol is not one of those things that we want to make sure that you don't, you know, withdraw. We want to make sure you actually stop this one. Um, There are a lot of substances. If you can't stop it, we throw on maintenance therapy because we don't want you to withdraw because we know that that withdrawal can be life-threatening for the baby. Well, with alcohol, it's more harmful to start it than for you to just abruptly stop. But we don't want the mom to go through, through withdrawal symptoms either. And it's very concerning that she just all of a sudden stopped it. Did you have withdrawal symptoms if you've been drinking this much a day? I'm more concerned about whether or not she actually stopped using alcohol because a lot of people, if they've consumed that many alcoholic beverages for 13 weeks straight every single day of the week, then there's some component of alcoholism that could be there, which most people that stop cold turkey can have severe withdrawal symptoms. And people can die from alcohol withdrawal. So we want to make sure they safely withdraw themselves and they're monitored if you're going to stop consuming alcohol, if you've been consuming large amounts um, through the pregnancy. So it's concerning that all of a sudden she's like, oh, I just stopped it. And I don't see anything or hear anything in this case that tells me how she stopped or that she gradually stopped or that she had any symptoms stopping which makes me want to really make sure she actually has stopped consuming it because we know that alcohol in the third trimester can really cause damage as the brain is starting to mature. So we definitely don't want to use it then. So I want to make sure that she's really stopped it. And then I'll go back to what Natalie said. We want to provide her support. We want to counsel her through this. We want to make sure she has resources so when this baby is born, She has the support that she needs because things may not be as evident immediately after birth. The case pearl for this case, features that would be most likely to be seen on ultrasound would be growth restriction and microcephaly, which is the same thing as a small head. Other findings such as a thin upper lip, uh, small horizontal openings of the eyes, and minor ear abnormalities are extremely hard to see. So fetal alcohol syndrome cannot be confirmed 
on prenatal ultrasound alone. All right, medical intern, what's our first emailed case for today? Our first emailed question is from a listener who has a five-year-old adopted son who was recently diagnosed with alcohol-related neurodevelopmental disorder. She writes that her son has problems expressing himself, so he often throws temper tantrums. He also has issues focusing as and is in special needs classes and speech therapy. For a five-year-old, he can run, talk, but is somewhat delayed and can brush his hair as well. However, he can't dress himself, feed himself, or go to the restroom without being reminded. This is not because he lacks the strength to do so, but because he just can't focus enough to get them done. Is there a cure for this disorder? Is this just a delay that will improve over time? Or can she expect him to just not be able to do day-to-day activities? So I will start off with that question because I've actually experienced that question in our son. What she is seeing are the primary characteristics of having NFASD, which is what we call dismaturity. So her son may chronologically be five years old, but developmentally, and this is different spheres, this is different domains, cognitive, social, executive functioning, he is probably functioning at about half that age because of having an ARND. And I am thankful he has that diagnosis so young because she can you know, advocate for her son. She can get supports and interventions and find specialists and and people like that. The reason why he is not dressing himself or the reason why he is not able to go to the bathroom by himself is if you think about it from an executive functioning point of view. And again, I'm a parent specialist. I'm not a clinician. I'm not a professional. I'm just talking as a parent. Think about how many steps are involved in getting yourself dressed? Think about how many steps are involved in going to the bathroom by yourself. We think it's not that big of a deal, but if you have alcohol, if you have a fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, if you have prenatal alcohol damage, brain damage, excuse me, prenatal alcohol brain damage, your brain is, doesn't have that capacity to think of all of those steps to say, okay, first I need to take my clothes out of the drawer. Secondly, I need to take my pajamas off. Third, I need to put my clothes on. Fourth, I need to what you know put my clothes in the hamper or whatever. You're, especially if you're chronologically five, but developmentally say you're two or three, you can't do that. So what needs to be done is having... You know, if the child's five, I, I think it's um, you would have either the school district or your physician refer you to a specialist so that that child could receive therapies such as occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, you know, other types of therapies to help provide supports and accommodate. Um, the other thing that kind of stands out to me from that question is that she's seeing meltdowns and temper tantrums. Those are actually his brain. He's not able to express, I can't do this. So he is getting, you know, that's how his brain is trying to share that he cannot do this. He, he's melting down 
and and that is very common in the the in the diagnoses is those meltdowns those what we think are temper tantrums they're not temper tantrums they're behavioral symptoms from the brain damage also one day he may be able to do a task that she asked and then the next day he can't that's because the working memory the, the memory is actually impaired that part of the brain is impaired from the alcohol damage so i would definitely oh sorry the final part is this something he'll outgrow no you don't outgrow developmental disability you don't outgrow prenatal brain damage from alcohol you don't however um with supports and interventions and and the right you know community in place that you can help like what we were talking about before you can help support the needs you know provide interventions and therapies and learn what he is good at and help him so that he can feel valued in what he is good at you know we we lived th- that scenario and we often you know up until probably a few years before our son was actually diagnosed we we still ask those questions is this something that'll get better as he gets older it's just going to look different it, because when you again when you get older there's a lot more expected of you and that dismaturity gap grows and again dismaturity doesn't mean that somebody has the capacity but they're acting immature that's immaturity dismaturity means that the maturity is physically not present because of the brain diagnosis so to answer that question find supports learn get trained as a parent so you can learn about FASD and how to parent from a, a brain first supportive standpoint find a support group find those interventions because the sooner you do it the more supportive outcomes you will have for your child i agree with everything that you've said um i think that the important thing to for this listener to know is that no your child is not going to just grow out of this you're going to have to support your child through this. So um, I would encourage you to visit um, FAFSD.net. There's proofalliance.org. There's several resources that Natalie also has on her um, FASD Hope um, website. And we'll make sure that um, our listeners have those resources and that we drop them um, when this episode comes out. So finding uh, an environment and a support system is going to be key, right? Um, Resources you need to help you get your child um, through this, through high school, through um, through adulthood, um, is going to be essential to make sure your your child can thrive. So I think that coming to realization that this is something that's going to be ongoing um, is important. You know, the the biggest thing is actually the realization, and then once you realize that this is something that you're going to have to find a unique ways to cultivate your child's learning and to help your child uh, deal with day-to-day functioning, um, the sooner you realize that, the more helpful and more understanding um, you could be for your child. And you can also stop beating yourself up 
about the things that you're going through and stop thinking that you have to discipline your child because your child's throwing temper tantrums when it's just your child's way of expressing to you that they're not able to express themselves. So, um, you know, I feel for anybody that has to go through this because it's a hard adjustment and a hard realization um, to come to. But once you come to the realization, know that there are other people out there like Natalie that can help you through this journey um, and that you are a great parent and finding and sending emails to let me know that I want help and I need to figure out what I need to do next um, is, is awesome. I mean, you're doing a great job, but now you have to come to the realization that I need to find specific resources for this specific condition on the spectrum so that I know how to help my child's brain um, further develop because it's all about, you know, brain development and brain training Um Children that have uh, that are on the spectrum learn a little differently. So you're going to have to take a different approach and utilizing these resources will help you um, to get there. Um, I think that she also mentioned um, that he just can't focus enough to do certain things. Well, is that his brain isn't developed enough to do those certain things. And maybe one day he will be able to do those things, but he's always going to be delayed for his chronological age. So that's important to know. Even if he's able to accomplish those things, he is also always going to be a little bit um, delayed in terms of chronological age. And that's okay. We need to celebrate all of his milestones when he makes those milestones and not, and not belittle those milestones. And you need to celebrate yourself to, for allowing you to persevere so that you can teach your son um, how to get to those milestones as well. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? Our second email question. This one says, I hope that you discuss this topic on your podcast. I now have a one-year-old who has now met all developmental milestones. She wa- she's walking and very interactive with others. She babbles, stacks blocks, and likes to dance. However, I'm concerned about fetal alcohol syndrome because I got drunk at a party during my early first trimester before I knew I was pregnant. That was the only time that I had any alcoholic beverages, and even at that time, it was out of character for me. When is fetal alcohol syndrome usually diagnosed? So this is a classic example of how FASD is a spectrum diagnosis, and it looks different for anyone. And no amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy. First of all, thank you to the woman for, again, for sharing that information and admitting that information um, because that is confirmed alcohol exposure from the birth mom, from the mom, which is a protective fact. Again, if, if you have that, if, if you can say when you seek out therapies, when you seek out, you know, uh, interventions, things like that, when you say, yes, there's confirmed alcohol and she even, she even shared when it happened. So you can say that then as her daughter gets older, and displays symptoms whenever they may be displayed, then she can have that confirmation to, to tell specialists. Um, there are many, many instances where, again, you have that prenatal alcohol exposure and you don't see those 
symptoms until later as they're developing. So she may be hitting. And to be honest with you, our son walked early. He met the walking milestone actually early. So our son did meet some of his developmental milestones early or on time. But then as he got older, he did not because like what we're talking about, and I'm thankful this theme is happening, is that dismaturity. As you get older, that dismaturity widens. The chronological age and the developmental age, there's a bigger gap. So again, what she can do, um, and, and I just love listening to Nicole talking because I just, I'm nodding my head with everything she's saying. She's so, you're such a wonderful, just, oh my goodness, Nicole, I wish I had known you 15 years ago, (laughs) but, (laughs) but, um, you know, um, Again, getting those supports in place now. Okay, yep, nothing. you don't see anything, but you have that confirmed exposure. And that's going to look different, especially if she, you know, otherwise was healthy during her pregnancy and that kind of thing. She, It's going to look different than the, the previous two, you know, um, kids we talked about. So getting those, uh, alerting somebody, finding, you know, like Nicole said, NOFAS, Proof Alliance, all these wonderful organizations, FASD nonprofits, FAFASD, um, finding that community and saying, okay, this is what happened. You know, hey, let's see this specialist. I know of parents who have confirmed exposure with their children and may not be seeing symptoms, but they're followed by either a developmental pediatrician or they're followed, they check in so that they can have that support in place. You know, it looks different for everybody. It's a, it's a spectrum diagnosis. So my, um, as, as a parent with lived experiences is first of all, thank you for sharing that. Secondly, getting those, that's wonderful. She's meeting those milestones, but getting those supports, the, you know, specialists, whomever in place so that as she gets older and red flags may start to come up, you have somebody there that can say, okay, this is what we're seeing. This is how we accommodate support and provide therapies and interventions. I would start with, it depends on when you were drinking, when you got drunk at the party. So if you got drunk at the party and you were in the first three to four weeks, then that's the all or none period, right? That's a period where that's extremely high exposure and that exposure to any anything, to any substance would either cause a miscarriage or it would cause nothing. Okay, so if you were drinking at that time, it is likely that your baby was not affected. But once you get to the fifth week, which most people don't know they're pregnant at this point. If you are drinking after that point, then there's an exposure and that exposure would likely not cause a miscarriage. Does alcohol exposure in the first trimester put you at a higher risk of miscarriage? Well, yeah, even if you're beyond the fifth week. Well, yeah, it does put you at a higher risk of miscarriage, but it can also continue. uh, You can also continue through the pregnancy and it not cause miscarriages. And so we call those exposures. So anything after that fifth week is beyond that all or none period. Okay. And so any exposure needs to be followed. 
The fact that you have a one-year-old that's met all developmental milestones and your one-year-old is dancing and babbling and you have no concerns at all is a good sign, right? It's likely that your baby may not be affected, but it's still worthwhile to make sure that your pediatrician knows about this so that they can continue to follow these um, the, the motor and sensory developmental milestones um, throughout childhood and into adolescence so that we make sure that your baby is unaffected. Um, a lot of people want to be reassured. If I drank this one time in pregnancy, does that mean my baby has um, is, is going to be affected or does it mean my baby's not going to be affected? We can't really tell you that, right? Because there's not a minimum amount of alcohol. But if you were drinking before your missed period and you have normal monthly cycles, it's likely that your, your child is not affected because you were likely drinking in the all and phenomenon, meaning you've had a miscarriage. So if that is reassuring enough for you, then I hope it is. But if you were drinking around the time where people usually miss a period and you really didn't notice that you missed a period until maybe week six when you looked up and said, wait a minute, my period's two weeks late, then you're exposed. Okay. And so it's worthwhile just to let your pediatrician know so that the milestones can be followed. And, and like Natalie said, it never hurts to already put those resources in place reach out to some support. Um, They can probably ask you more questions to get some more insight about what's going on with your daughter. Um, And you can probably ask them more questions to see if the things that they've experienced are things that you should be looking for now going forward. Nellie, anything you want to add about that? Yes. And I just want to mention too, talking and referring to what uh, Nicole is saying, um, all major medical organizations advise abstaining completely from alcohol during pregnancy. And that's from conception through birth. So with that in mind, and Nicole, I'm not, I'm not sure how you advise your, your patients about this, but all of those medical organizations and in effect, Quite a few of them advise for abstaining from alcohol, even if you're thinking of, of planning on getting pregnant or getting pregnant, just because of the uncertainty of you know when conception will happen. So um, no amount of alcohol is safe during pregnancy. And what you may be seeing is nothing right now. But again, the long-term effects down the road, having those supports in place is, is crucial because no amount of alcohol during pregnancy is safe. And I think that's another, um, another mission that we have in FASD hope is, is just making that awareness. Um, you having any alcohol during any time of pregnancy is not is not safe. I agree. And just to clarify, I mean, if people listen to the podcast, they know I'm about planning. So as a high risk specialist, I'm all about, you need a preconception visit. I think that there's a lot of unplanned pregnancies and people um, that I take care of are high risk. They may have diabetes. They may have a history of stroke. They may have cancer. They may have had a child, previous child that had been diagnosed with an anomaly. And the best thing that people can do to decrease their risk of a poor outcome in any pregnancy is to plan for it. So I'm a big advocate on preconception. Um, I think everybody needs a preconception consult. And at that point, if you're planning to be pregnant, 
then of course we're not going to advocate for you to drink because there's nothing that glass of red wine is a myth. I don't know who started that myth. Natalie, do you know who started the myth? Because I don't know who started it. I don't. I don't. In the Bible, um, <laughs> in the Bible, it actually says um, the, the angel came to Manoah's wife, who is Samson's mother, and said, you are going to conceive. Do not have wine or any unclean drink. He says that four times. So it's in the Bible. So I don't know how we got away from, okay, it's okay to have one glass of red wine when, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how that happened. But, but yeah, if you are planning to be pregnant and you're listening to this, then no, you should not be drinking, right? You should start your prenatal vitamin before you get pregnant. You should start a diet high in folic acid or a supplement with folate and your prenatal vitamin should also have at least 800 micrograms of folate before you get pregnant. You need your medications reviewed before you get pregnant. And if you've been listening to this a while, you know anything that has retinoic acid in it needs to be stopped three months before you get pregnant. So you're right. No amount of alcohol is safe to consume. I'm not going to tell you to drink wine um, and, and stop at the time of pregnancy. If you're planning just don't drink because you don't want to expose your child unknowingly. But for this listener, I can't, I don't know what she was doing at this party. Obviously it wasn't planned and I don't really know when you drank. So it just depends on when you actually drank and um, during that first trimester, if anything's going to happen. But Natalie's right. We got to set up the resources in place so they can look for these long-term effects of, um, of alcohol. So I think that that's all of our cases. And we picked Nally's brain enough for today. And my medical intern is shaking her head. Yes. So thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope that you've been enlightened about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Um, Natalie, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Could you please tell our listeners how they can follow you on social media and about any of your upcoming events? Sure thing. Thank you again, Nicole, for having me. It really has been an honor and I appreciate it. Uh, you can find us at FASDHope.com is our website. The FASD Hope podcast is available anywhere you get your podcasts. And our book that I co-authored with a fellow mom of a young young adult to have an FASD, our book is Blazing New Homeschooling Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities. That's available on Amazon.com. And um, we are just happy to be a resource for those families. And, and for anyone who wants to learn about FASD, we point people in the direction of resources. Again, we're not, uh, we don't consider ourselves to be experts. We're just parents with lived experience. So, uh, yeah, that that's it. And I just appreciate, um, you letting me be on your podcast today, Nicole. Thank you so much for all the information. I know that our listeners will be enlightened. I've learned so much from you today just by recording with you today. So I know that um, I'll have several questions. I will definitely send them your way. Um, if uh, you want to support Natalie, please make sure you go to Amazon, purchase her book, read more about her journey. Um, and as she said, you can purchase her book on Amazon. And I'll also make sure I post a link to uh, to purchase that on my platforms as well. Um, if you've been listening, you know that I am a co-author in the book uh, Chronicles of Women White Coast Volume 3. Um, 
I'd love for you to support. Make sure you go to IG and purchase that through my link tree. Um, also, you can also book a consult with me through my new and improved website, which you can get to through pregnancypearls.com. Um, you can also visit drnicoleplenty.com um, to also uh, book that consult. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or a unique pregnancy situation, let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypearls at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at Pregnancy Pearls. Don't forget to also subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash pregnancy pearls with Dr. Plenty for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.